Sick today, uh, and so my daughter is at my wife's office to um, allow us to do this podcast. Uh, Lord knows what she's getting into in a surgical office. Hopefully, nothing dangerous. When your nanny calls in sick, does she give you a look like uh, like Nona? Was it Nona? Mona? No, no, she's a wonderful young lady, and uh, she very rarely calls in sick, and, uh, you know, has a small child of her own that hangs out with my daughter all day, so, you know, it's uh, concerns about uh, cross-contamination with the small children and so on and so forth. It's uh, very much a well-deserved and uh, sincerely earned day off for her. It's just... uh, tricky to deal with a one and a half year old you know yeah. what I'm do sure you do she's with a, i just wanted to shout out that look from mona it was a, it, it was, was incredible a, i guess we're going to talk about fleischman is in trouble first because i'm down <laughs> i'm down to do that first um all right i i guess we're headed there we can we can do that that is uh we're we are talking about the nanny from uh fleischman is in trouble and, uh, and like listen i uh I, 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 I'm in a very happy marriage. Like I'm, I'm, I don't think divorce is anywhere in my future. It's certainly not imminent. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm still kind of glad I didn't watch this with my wife. It's just kind of a, <laughs> seems like a, I don't know. Uh, it, it, like the, this show does not, uh, feel like it's part of the keys to a happy marriage. You know, no, no, it does not. What, um, who's your favorite character on the show? Well, I'm a longtime Lizzie Kaplan guy. Um, and you know, in general, I enjoy her and her performance here, but I think, uh, in particular, I, I, the, my favorite character might be the voiceover. Yes, that's what I was going to say. My favorite character is the Lizzie Kaplan voiceover. Yeah. Not the Lizzie Kaplan character. I mean, the Lizzie Kaplan character is cool. It's the same person, you know. Right. I guess. But it's the voiceover that makes her the best. I, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I in general, I found this show com- c- compelling. This, this, it, there, it, it, it does seem to sort of have dual purposes, right? Like there is a family dramedy focused on a newly divorced dad and his uh escapades in the world and then there's a disappearing woman mystery which if you watch both episodes which we did uh 
takes a surprising um, cliffhangery turn at the end of episode two. Yeah, like I don't, it doesn't sound like they're keeping that mystery going like the whole season or anything. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Who knows? Who knows where this goes? I don't know if you happen to look at the like next episode description, but the next episode description is Toby meets Rachel. So it sounds like it's going to largely be flashback. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could do some of that. I'm sure. And, and just because some like weird Upper East Side ladies said something doesn't necessarily mean it's true or that it will still be true when he investigates it. So, uh, well, without, I mean, cause without spoiling, I um, mean, I realize uh, the show is Fleischman is in trouble, but they are, they are piling on the, the difficulties for him. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and honestly, like he seems to be handling it, you know, reasonably well, like he did have a dramatic, well, well, let me ask you, as a as the non-parent, what did you think of the way he responded? He reacted to the, uh, you know, the situation that led him to fire his babysitter. What, what? How did you process his reaction? I thought I thought the talk with the kid was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the firing the babysitter thing. Um. I, I probably wouldn't want to have more of a conversation about how that happened. Right. Um, like it was it was, in other words it was an overreaction but not not an overreaction that's difficult to understand or like a or like a, a totally insane overreaction right like it it's probably he probably didn't handle it the best way but like I get it you know what I mean so like overall I would say for a for a guy who's clearly uh, as the show's title says in trouble in a variety of ways he's handling everything pretty well you know, that's probably his worst mistake so far. Um, Do they have to make the daughter such an asshole? Like, I, I mean, I get so. she's, she's like 13, you know, like, or what is she, 11? She's 11 going on 15. And, yeah. and beyond that, she is, I think, very typical of the reaction of a child experiencing divorce, you know? Like I think the fact that she's taking her up her anger and her feelings out on the parent who just happens to be there as opposed to the one who's clearly uh doing the wrong thing and an asshole. Um you know, the it's uh Yeah, God, but just the whole her whole upper east side in this that yeah, part really Well, but I think that's part of what the show is about, right? And I I don't know. It's a show about a lot of things with a lot going on and, and like a mystery somewhere in the middle of it. And uh I find it strangely yeah. compelling. I think Jesse Eisenberg's performance in particular is compelling. But it's like that and that's the other part about it where it's just frustrating to watch someone who literally says I make three hundred thousand dollars a year and everyone keeps talking about them like they're poor. Yeah. Um <laughs> like it, it's hard to stomach, and I do understand that like the neighborhood they live in is insanely expensive. But well, and he says that, uh, right? I mean, he he makes the like, point of like, yeah, I am rich everywhere except the. I think he says everywhere <laughs> except the like four block r radius you insist on living in. Um, <laughs> yep. So you know, it's it, that's part of what the show is about, certainly, and and those people are definitely like it's not hard to understand what what side of the fence the show is landing on 
<laughs> but uh, again, I, even with those distasteful people, including the ex-wife, uh, I I really do find the show entertaining. And by the way, it's a. I just think it's a delightful casting choice to have Adam Brody in in the role that he is in. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. He's he's perfect. I, I you know the casting I think is really good. It's very compelling. A lot more nudity than I expected. Uh, it is an <laughs> extremely <laughs> horny show. I have we I I you know I mean not look the show sort of casts it as inexplicable so I guess they're not really going to explain it but man. I mean, I don't know. Are the apps in New York City really like that? I guess if you're a doctor, they are. I don't know. I mean, he is a, a like he said, he like he's a catch everywhere except that four block radius, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I don't. I think he's not used to being a catch, right? Like he was never a catch before. Yeah, but, but I think yeah. I think probably like he's realizing after not dating for however long, you know, twenty years or whatever, that you know when you're in your forties a like good person with a good job is a good dating partner you know so yeah yeah i don't doubt that the the apps could be like that in new york city for a successful doctor um yeah i guess so i guess so um but yeah this is uh it grabs your attention it's it's definitely a little bit different um, it's interesting and super well acted. It's, I feel like this is an easy recommendation for me. Yes, agreed. Uh, so uh, essentially, as expected. Um, but there's a lot to it, and I quite enjoy it. Um, let's switch gears to Tulsa King. Hmm. I have a feeling we're going to have differing views on this. Um. Okay. Well, why do you why do you feel that way, sir? Uh. Well, I I just in general. Um, probably would have felt like that just based on what I know about our general taste, but also the tone with which you just suggested we start talking about it um, makes me think you did not enjoy it. Uh, well, you would be wrong. Oh, I, I, I quite enjoyed Tulsa King. Okay, then maybe uh-huh. we're in exactly the same place because <laughs> here's what I'm going to say about Tulsa King. Uh, part of this may definitely i i'm willing to say could be uh you know the the blessing of low expectations um but sylvester stallone is a very charming man and this show is i think clever and funny in a way that i did not expect and that really to me makes it a a heck of an enjoyable watch so it's, yeah, a little silly and a little bit exactly the show you would expect Sylvester Stallone to be making at age 75, where he's like a washed up gangster who has to go to a random, you know, not exactly podunk town, but by his standards, uh, after getting out of prison, right? It's like wh- you could have predicted Sylvester Stallone would be making this show in 1983. Um but it's funny and he's so charming that I think it kind of works. Like it's not going to ever be the best show on TV, but I'm definitely looking forward to the next episode. Um, I'm surprised that you got through all of that summary without the words Taylor Sheridan. 
because I feel like his thumbprints are all over this. Sure. Um, and and I would say to me, it's mostly that Stallone turned out to be an ideal fit for the Sheridan verse. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know that I have quite enough of a true understanding of what's involved in the Sheridan verse to make that comment, which is why I didn't like I, don't, I never watched any of his other shows, really. That's not true. You watched uh, the, the Jeremy Renner one. The Jeremy Renner one. We talked about it on the show. I can't believe I'm already blanking on the name of it, but hold on. I'll get it for you. Oh, yeah. I watched a couple episodes of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, oh, the you didn't finish that show. No, the one where he's, like, running the prison town. Yeah. Oh, Mayor of Kingstown, that's the name of it. Yeah. Uh, no, I did not finish it. Um, oh, I didn't finish it. Maybe, so maybe, maybe that's <laughs> part of I. And, and that I wasn't re- a, a, a necessarily negative comment about it. I just, there's so much TV, and I... Also yeah. have other things to do. Sometimes. But like he, you know, you can tell he kind of likes small town slash middle American grit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sort of crime stories set yep. in, in these towns and his sort of feel for those sort of the down and out, the sort of down and out people that you meet along the way. You know what I mean? Like, but um, in my the, memory, FBI agent seems like a very Taylor Sheridan character to me, you know? Yeah. To my memory, though, um, this is a lot funnier than Mayor of Kingstown was. Yes. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely – and I think that they are – because, like, you wouldn't – you know, you're not going to do a show – like a, a a prison show with Jeremy Renner and be like, let's lean into his humor side, right? Like that doesn't make sense. But with Stallone, you kind of have that like old well, guy shadow water charm thing that you can do. You know what I mean? I think they. I, mean, I think I think obviously you're right. Okay, because I just watched it, but I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> have thought of it. I didn't think of it coming into it. It didn't occur to me that I think it's fair to say that this show is as much comedy as drama. Like it's probably half and half, but it's it's like de- it's uh, it's not just a couple funny moments. It's definitely like trying to be funny a lot of the time and succeeding, and that was not at all what I expected. Mm, and I think okay. it's I, I think it's a great credit to like a creative approach with what seemed like a pretty like rote you know concept, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I th- I think that's fair. Look, I, and I think I think Sheridan knows what he's doing. You yeah, know what I mean. Fair. And I also think that um, you know his his success now allows him to sort of uh, more, ca- more. Ha- be able have a little casting yeah. uh, freedom. Juice. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Juice, juice. That's that's a great word. Juice is a great yeah. word. Uh, yeah, and there's yeah. people that we haven't seen yet. I think that um, you know that you'll know. Um, you know, David Delaney's in the show. Annabelle Shior is in the show. Yeah, it's gonna um, be fun. We got we got a little bit of Dominic Lombardozzi with hair, uh, <laughs> with amazing. gray hair. It's disorienting. <laughs> it makes me feel very old. Um, almost and, as old as. Did you see this? This is a totally unrelated. Just a thing other than a thing that made me feel old. But did you see Justin Fields? You're gonna love this too, because this this is germane to your interests. Uh, you know, he he was a Falcons fan growing up. Of um, course, 
George Kidd, right? Right. And he said at a press conference recently that when he was growing up, Julio Jones was one of his favorite players when he was <laughs> growing up. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little depressing. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Speaking of, speaking of which, uh, Max Casella is also in this show. Um, yes. I don't know if you remember Max Casella, but he was uh, the best friend of D.E. Hauser. I do well. I mean, I can't say I have clear memories of Doogie Hauser uh, from its time on the air, but I do remember Max Casella. Yeah, Vinny, and then he eventually was on The Sopranos as well. Um, good casting, man. Uh, plus Martin Starr uh, as Bodie is perfect. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm ex- a delight to see Martin Starr, and all of their scenes together are really funny. Like the two of them play off each other in a real. I just look again. We know Stallone can be funny, but it's just not the avenue I was expecting from a, you know, 75-year-old gangster story. And I thought it really was well well done on all levels. Yeah. That scene that scene where he, uh, he has the one that's in and he tells her how old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. That was hilarious. Like, and, and that's on purpose. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not accidental comedy in a show that's trying to be serious, which is what I probably would have more expected going into this. I mean, it's called Tulsa King for goodness sakes, right? Like I just, I don't know. It was more than I expected in a lot of ways. Yeah. And look, it, this is not, um, I wouldn't say it's great television. No, it's you not know the what Sopranos I mean? by any stretch. Yeah, it's not going to, it's not, I don't think this will be in the year in top 10, but like, Man, is it, it's enjoyable start to finish. It is uh it's accessible television for sure. Um Yes, and truly enjoyable. 100%. 100%. All right, let's talk about some movies. Yeah, let's. <laughs> um so when we were doing the pre-show on uh see how they run huh. and you were like you were like it's got Sam Rockwell and I was like, "Yeah, but you know, Sometimes Sam Rockwell is in, in some not good stuff, and you're like, like what? And I was like, uh, give me a second. I can't think about it. Um, if you were to ask me that question again, I uh, or the next time I'm asked that question, <laughs> I will be popping right out with, like, see how they run, for example. I, um, I enjoyed it. I don't know what, I don't, what, why. What was so bad about see how they run? If you were like, let's take Knives Out, but make it way less funny and way more insipid, um, <laughs> then yeah, this is this is your movie. I, like- I would, I would argue that um, it is it, the way is unnecessary. It is less clever. And less funny than Knives Out. But that is a very high bar. And I would say, if you're the sort of person who saw Knives Out and said, I'd like to see more of that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be quite as good. This movie is for you. The this You know what? This, this movie, to me, is the David Oyelowo character, the, the, the writer guy. <laughs> yeah. Mervyn Cocker Norris. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, um... Clever, but not nearly as clever as it thinks it is. You know uh, what I mean? 
funny, but not nearly as funny as it thinks it is. Okay, uh, maybe. But again, uh, like you just described a, a, a relatively clever and funny movie that I enjoyed watching. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I, like, I was angry <laughs> after this. Was very angry. I mean, it, 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 it has. Here's here's the 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 worst thing that I would say about this movie. It has the quirkiness and like too clever by halfness of a Wes Anderson film without necessarily the you know pinpoint of a mediocre Wes Anderson film how's that <laughs> uh, which which can be frustrating like like if if though if if the peccadillos of this film annoy you it's hard for me to argue yeah i found um, it deeply annoying at the same time like i think part of the fundamental disagreement between us in this zone is that i I I enjoy the quirkiness of Sam Rockwell on its face, and I, it does not seem like you do. No, I don't always, honestly. Yeah. Like, I need, I need him grounded in something. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, this is a pretty ungrounded performance. Yeah, yeah and it's, he's, this one is not, this is not, he's not really playing a person. He's doing movie. a lot of stuff, but yeah. I enjoyed it. I'd like it, yeah. Yeah. Hilariously, I... I think this is actually like on a quality level very similar to Tulsa King, but like um we can't we both came at Tulsa King from like a I hope this is worth my time perspective and uh I think like you you, you <laughs> this is not a film that you're willing to grant the same grace. Oh, well, I think this movie I think the difference is that Tulsa King um uh, comes at you with almost zero pretension. Yeah, and this one has the pretension switch turned all the way up. Yeah, that that that's probably fair. That's that's where it is for me. I I want I want to ask you about something that runs through this, and maybe this is a segue um, into Don't Worry, Darling as well, because uh, both of these movies sort of feature this. I mean, it, Don't Worry, Darling, it's a little different because you don't. The setting of uh, it, don't worry, worry, darling, is a little bit more. Um, Specific. I, I don't know, up, up in the air, <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, but like this thing that we're doing now in period pieces, huh. right? Because uh, um, uh, see how they run, right? Takes place. Certainly in uh, these are both in the fifties, I think. In the fifties ish, right? Yeah. And like I don't I think Don't Worry Darling may be It's supposed I mean, to take place in the fifties. It's right. It's taking place in time that at least is reminiscent of the fifties, right? It may actually all be in yeah, uh, you know. I think it's it actually, actually now, but like day. yeah, exactly. For all intents and purposes, it's the fifties. But so so we we have two movies in the fifties with a racially diverse cast, right? right? Well, and Which, in 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 um, was it in See How They Run, or am I about to confuse it with a TV show we watched this week? There's something we watched where it w- they they cast real people. It was See How They Run. It was uh because that's Agatha Christie's real husband, but you know obviously he was not black in real life, right? Um. 
I don't know. I like here's or like the assistant, like like you know what I mean. Like there are all these, and and none of the 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 races acknowledged. You know what I mean? Like like there's that scene where the Adrian Brody character is with the studio guy, and he's he's with his assistant, kind of you know cheating on his wife or whatever. And like, were this actually the fifties? Right. The fact that he was cheating on his wife with a black woman would that would be a huge part of the deal. But none of that's really acknowledged in this, right? Like it's just kind of it's kind yeah. of race blind. Right. And I I find myself really conflicted about this because on the one hand, like I get, you know, the representation and opportunity for you know, actors of color that right. you know, just simply wouldn't have existed before. But on the other hand, they feel like we're sort of whitewashing this time in a way. You know what I mean? Like we're you know, you're going to get a different impression of what it was like for people like that than, well, than how it was. And that also makes me uncomfortable. I don't know how to reconcile those things. So, first of all, I think for obvious reasons, it's not really an issue for Don't Worry Darling. Right? Because right. they've brainwashed the people involved anyway. Um, so, who cares? Yeah, uh, like, as, as that story unfolded, that part, I'm like, okay, I guess I could see how that would be like that. You know what I mean? matter, right. So, but, but before you understand what's happening, it was it was present in my mind. You well, know what I mean? but I, I think the point of that that resonates is that it was two different things we watched this week that did it, and I think it's something that's becoming more and more popular to do. And I think it's a it's a tricky thing, right? Because like it's not a better situation for see how they run to have an all white cast, right? That's not better. Um or movies like it to always have all white casts, right? But I do think also and like I hope I can say this with all due respect to anybody, um it should be possible, I think. And maybe I'm wrong. But it seems to me that it it is it it should be okay for a film to want to take place in the 50s and not be explicitly or even implicitly about race to be just a silly story that takes place that happens to take place in the 50s and to me and look I, I guess I'm not really I mean as the white member of the panel perhaps I it, this <laughs> who cares what I think but to me it certainly doesn't bother me from a historical accuracy standpoint. If you're going to have a story that takes place in the 50s that isn't about race and, frankly, is not serious enough to deal with that topic, like it's a silly film. It doesn't – I don't want it to deal with race politics. Um, to me, the sort of colorblind casting is irrelevant. It doesn't. It doesn't affect me one way or the other other than – I appreciate the acknowledgement that like actors of color should get jobs too. And if, if the race makes no difference to the story, why not do a colorblind casting of it? But like, like to me, like you have to be in the world, right? Like, unless you're, I I feel like you do. I don't like, I like, otherwise it's not, I don't know. It's not the world to me. But it's not really really but it's not really a story about the world, right? It's just a goofy movie about like a. So that's set in the present. Why does it need to be in the fifties? Well, because it, they they decided they wanted to use this mousetrap idea 
like the the foundation of the story about the mousetrap and the movie rights, I think, is basically true. The, right, but the mousetrap couldn't be playing now on West End London. It took its first break. It's it it just it's in its second run now because it had to break for COVID. But right, that's, its that's first that's run what I'm lasted till 2020. Right. You could you could have set this now or in 2020. You know what I mean? I or guess in 2018. You know. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have said it in 2018. Um, I just worry that there's a cumulative effect here where people start watching the 50s and think that the 50s were different from the way that the 50s are. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just hate that uh, you're not wrong, but I hate that we live in a world where we have to worry about idiots getting their history from a silly Sam Rockwell movie instead of, you know, history. History, but history gets erased, right? And that's what we're seeing. That in, it's not any different than what we're seeing in schools, where it's like, don't. Well, it, but except it, it, it should be different, right? I mean, this should be different than what we're seeing in schools. This is not a movie about history. It's a goofy. Right. But because I don't know, maybe because of what we're seeing in schools, that makes it even more. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I guess I wonder. Again, I don't I don't really disagree with you. It's just a bummer to me that you can't just have a stupid movie about the 50s that's not or you know that takes place in the 50s that's not about the real world. Like it's obviously you know all those people did not end up at Agatha Christie's house witnessing a potential murder. This is not a real it's clearly historical fiction. So who ca- you know what I mean? Like I I I wish we didn't have to worry about idiots reading it wrong but maybe we do maybe i don't know there's great evidence in the world to suggest that we do in fact have to worry about idiots (laughs) taking it too seriously yeah or or forgetting what happened but is that is that a filmmaker's responsibility i don't know like in a a time would we we have to talk about it did the holocaust actually happen no, you know you're right. I mean? You're right. But would we be even be having this conversation if this movie was 25% funnier? I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> we would. We would, I think, because, okay. like, to me, this is a little bit divorced from uh, – it's just something I've noticed lately. I, you know what I mean? Like, um, because it's not like it's just these two movies where this is happening. Right. And I, like, this yeah, is I'm more not a complaint about – I just don't know how I, I – like – I don't know. There's something about it that, like, I like I said, I feel conflicted because I, yeah, like, like when you watch the great, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, like. But again, to me, like, oh, this is a novel that we're just we're just throwing everything to the side here on on you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. it, it worked, I think, a little bit better in that one because that show is so obviously making a point of, um, yeah, it's history, but not really, right? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I would think that th- that see how they run is equally clearly not a, a a story about real life. But again, who knows? Like, I just don't know if it's the responsibility of the maker of art that is clearly satire or camp to like warn everybody. Yes, and, I just think and, if you if you're you if you're making right and it's fiftiesness. Well, it depends what it right. is, though, doesn't like it? Like a character in the story, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, I don't know, it's but part of it. If you this know? was the Agatha Christie story, I think I'd feel differently. Right? I don't know. I like if it purported to tell a historical story. I don't know. But again, I, 
I'm definitely not going to tell you you're wrong about this. And more to the point, like, I sincerely don't know what the right answer is. Because I know by the same token, and this is not a criticism or, or like, trying to be a gotcha at all, but, like, if this was a story actually about the 50s and they took the time to address the racial issues that you're that that you're correctly pointing out would have been issues in real life like i know you don't especially enjoy watching that either no no i don't like that's why i said i'm i'm not like it's conflicted i don't know tough it's fucking hard but i do think that the one nice thing about this approach as a pro as opposed to the other is that you at least know that they were thinking about it and trying to do the right thing Right. Yeah, I, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Don't Worry, Darling, because uh, we haven't really gotten too far in into that whole thing. <laughs> now, uh, this to me was a bad movie. Yeah, I found it less annoying, honestly, than see how they run. But I, I can it, see it, how you would say less annoying, <laughs> but it is clearly but to it, me a worse film. It's just a it's just a mess. It's this movie. it's I it's, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a you know somewhat recently invented word that I don't want to say involving a, a synonym of of zero and a piece of meat. I do not understand the point of this. I I I frankly do not think it had a point and while I was just defending a movie that didn't really have a point, like this one isn't like entertaining or clever in any way, much less enough to support being a movie with no real point. I mean, I think there's, I, I, I think it's trying to make a point about gender and roles and expectations, I think. Is um, it even though it's definitely about those things, but I'm not sure it makes any coherent point about them. Yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, certainly it, it, I can't I can't say that anything about this film that I uh, picked up on was subtle. And so it 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 is tough for me to believe that there is some subtle point subtle, that I'm missing. It's subtle in every way. <laughs> It is, it is deeply, deeply unsubtle. Um. <laughs> like it's just I, I kept kind of waiting for like a a significant twist that would surprise me, and instead got the exact sorts of twists I was expecting. Like it's just so extremely a very particular type of film, and not at all an original or good version of that type of film. Yeah, and really just a waste of so many talented. People. So much talent. <laughs> I mean, it really is as talented. A, although Harry Styles does nothing for me as an actor, the the cast in general is as talented as you can have. Yeah, he's fine. Although I also felt like I had a really hard time picturing Shia LaBeouf in that Harry Styles role. Well, to me, like it was no tougher to imagine Shia LaBeouf in the. 50s version than it was to imagine believing Harry Styles as the like creepy loser. <laughs> Did he creepy loser is what you would say for Harry Styles' character? It seemed like he was like just guy who wanted to be successful at work and 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 lost his principles somewhere along the way. Okay. 
he certainly ended up in in creepy loser behavior territory. I think we can agree <laughs> on that. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Although, I mean, it depends. I guess if you're talking about the the '50s Harry Styles or or whatever the science fictiony present day Harry yeah, Styles. Yeah, no, I'm definitely I'm talking about the science fictiony present day. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, yeah. I was thinking the other one. No, that's what I'm saying. Oh. That guy, I didn't really buy Harry Styles as the, you know, long-haired, pockmarked bum. No, they did a good job of making him look like a creepy loser, though. Yeah, I was impressed with that. He looked that way, but he still <laughs> couldn't really get me there. Um, no, and Shia LaBeouf could, I'll tell you that much. Creepy yeah, no, loser is fair. a vibe he can that's definitely fair. embody. That's um, fair. But... I cannot imagine him as the slick 50s husband at all. So who knows? No. Very different movie, presumably. I like the, yeah, like I feel like their their relationship, or particularly the, like when it's sort of being romanticized in the beginning, would have been just tough. Uh, weird. Would have been, would have been very weird. It, it might, it, it, I don't know if this would be possible, but it seems like it might have made the story even more predictable. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I just, it's hard to understand how, uh, you know, a director that I think we both had high expectations for based on other stuff and a cast this talented, like, produced this. It doesn't totally add up. She and, has some interesting visuals in this, I would say. There's, yeah. like, there's directory things, although. But I, because I think of the structure, directed too as well. You know what I mean, right. like some ballet scenes and things like that. I would um, say because of the structure of the film, all of those arguably over-directed moments just contributed to a feeling of like, what ridiculous thing is going on here? Right. I mean, I spent most of the movie being like, there, ha <laughs> there's so much like, like flowery directory fluff going on there's got to be more to what's happening in this story and just constantly being told no there is not more to what's happening in this story in any meaningful <laughs> way <laughs> yeah um just uh you know i don't know i do you are, do you find yourself hoping that she gets a chance to make another one because i think i do i think i do yeah i mean i think again like olivia wilde is you know this is i guess this is weird to say it feels weird to say about someone who's younger than me for some reason but like i am looking forward to her work in the future <laughs> like i as she's a director i am uh, who's whose work i am watching um but yeah this was not good yeah it sure wasn't. This is this is a miss, um, and I, I I think we can leave it at that because I think the world has has told you know that's out there in the world that this that is, is a miss. That is, <laughs> yeah, that is that is not something... not original reporting from us. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So we'll see if it's a, it's a career killer or not. Because Booksmart was great, you know, and excellent. I'm sure she can do more than that too. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that like go make just go back to making Booksmart. Um, no. This just wasn't it, which, you know, was a bummer. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. Supposedly, she's attached to a Perry, uh, Carrie Strug biopic. Next, that sounds interesting. I will still be interested in her work.
um, I simply uh, did not enjoy this. <laughs> no, that wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, uh, with that, I guess we can move on to the challenge, right? We we got everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I believe. So wait, why do I feel? Yeah, no, we we did everything. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the challenge. Okay. Um, it, it, I thought this was uh, another uh, really well drawn out elimination. I've been I've been yeah. happy with the zone. Yes, this year, I would agree. Um, and uh, while we're here, I think because of the elimination, as much as anything, although you know, good good daily performance, I think a decent anyway. Uh, my MVP this week is our girl Anissa, because. Yes, it was Jordan who, you know, told her what to do, frankly. But Anissa's pure physical strength basically won them that elimination. That and her blocking ability in the, you know, playing defense against Laurel. Like, Jordan may have been the, like, you know, stronger competitor if you line them up head to head. But Anissa was the key to me. Um, I, I, I am not here to be smirch Anissa, um, uh, uh, in any way, shape or form, because I agree with pretty much everything you just said. My pick is still Jordan. Um, he's deserving for, as well for, for MVP. I, you know, um, I have a friend who's, uh, who I'm trying to get into the show, just started watching and he, he asked me a couple weeks ago, I was like, is this Jordan guy really a big deal? And I, I feel like this, and to a, a, a slightly lesser extent, last week, are episodes where you really get to see why. Yeah, this guy's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, know, like I mean, him, him out here doing this with one hand, um, and uh, you know, he's uh, he's had some all-time uh, elimination performances. He he can be a real beast in elimination, and he gave me a little taste. You got a little taste of the old Jordan. You know what I mean? Where just enough. That it's he, still there. The fire is still there, and he can bring it out when needed because it was needed for Jay and Michelle this week. We'll get to them in a second. But while we're talking about the elimination, can we also say, Jordan, <laughs> I hate to argue against my own MVP pick, but Jordan has the, sh the winning strategy for the elimination, has a, a – an arm that made me wonder if he was in fact a quarterback who playing football. I think he might have been, right? Yes, he was accurate and and forceful. And then when I turned to my wife and said, "How are they going to get the last one or two, you know, squares cuz you're throwing at these well circles. You're throwing at these targets and you have to hit them and someone's playing defense and once you're down to one, can't you just stand in front of that one? And yeah. Jordan got him with like a sick floater. Like he just floated it right over it. Jack's head. He babe Ruth it. He's like, I'm putting it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had to. That's the only target left. And he just yeah. he just got him with the floater. It was beautiful. Like every single Andy and he's carrying four cinder blocks with one hand. With one <laughs> one full hand. He just this was absolutely as good a, a showcase episode for Jordan as there has ever been. 
Um, and I think it it both showcased yeah, the, the Josh elimination is still that's a great one. It's an all timer. But this is this showcased the new sensitive Jordan and supportive partner Jordan, as well as the fiery, somewhat psychotic Jordan that you don't want to piss off. Which leads me to if we <laughs> were going, I, think, I don't think I don't think Jay knew. I, that's Come that's on. what that's my only conclusion is like I don't think Jay no. knew what no. they were dealing with. You missed it, and frankly, I'm embarrassed for both of us that we missed it for this long because we've been asking these questions. Why is why did Jay do that? Gosh, Jay is you know surprisingly good as a physical competitor, but why is he letting Michelle make these decisions when she's clearly making terrible decisions? You know why? All these questions about Jay's political and social games. Man, people really seem to like this guy, but he doesn't seem to know how to like hold on to relationships at all. There's one easy answer, and it's been staring us in the face, and it's not even that uncommon for these challenge situations. Jay is one of the dumbest people to ever walk the earth. <laughs> He's, he is galactically stupid and it clicked in for me when jordan was basically being like guy this is like a weak way to play this is a he said the word weak yeah and jay reacted like marty mcfly got called chicken only way broier and all of a sudden he like puffed up his chest and he was like no bro you're weak. weak, bro. You can't call me weak, bro. No, bro. Weak, bro. No. And <laughs> and it just, like, became a word salad of bro and weak and no. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. He is dumber than rocks. <laughs> it's the only explanation for how bad he is at this stuff. The only one. <laughs> and, like, well, I, is it the only one? Because, all right, so I have some questions. Because Can I also just say before before we get into it more, beyond everything else, Jay, to an extent, but especially Michelle, and just together, greater than the sum of their parts, some of the most unlikable television characters in the history of this show. And, and particularly, like, ratio of unlikability to actual, like, nastiness. Like they haven't done that much other than be dumb. Yeah, no, it's weird because like I think Michelle in particular is trying really hard not to be unlikable. Yes, and that might be it. Like I think I think just her like paranoia and and desperate desire not to be unlikable is like works my anxiety, man. Like it's just yeah. I do not enjoy watching it. Like, I think we're all sort of nani. Like, don't yeah. come in here. I like, yeah. miss me with your apology tour. Like, Seriously. if you're doing this, like, own it. You know what I mean? That is one of my notes. Like, what kind of crazy jackass repeatedly puts people into elimination zone and then goes and tries to make friends with them? You're doing it backwards. <laughs> like you don't walk up to someone and slap them in the face before you say nice to meet you you know what i'm saying like it's uh, a it's a handshake first 
you, like, what are you doing? She's and and the whole time she's like, "Am I just paranoid, or does everyone hate me?" Ah, I better put them in to find out. Exactly. Well, now they hate you. Now they yeah. yeah, and we'll see where everybody's at. You know what I mean? Like, and then Jordan this week is literally like, "You told me last week you put me in to find out where I was at. I told you I was at wanting to be your ally, and then I gave you another chance, and you put me in again." Yeah. And now you want to try to be friends again? What is your yeah. deal? Yeah, like now, and now, guess what? Now we are blood enemies. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> My God, it's some of the most right. insane gameplay we've ever seen. So let, I, I want to jump into this a little bit because uh, there's a point where Casey and Nani are talking, and Casey is very much like, "I see what's happening here, and it's getting very sketch." And there's a reference to people working with other people. But I couldn't quite figure out what she was getting at. Can you? Um, are you sure there's a bigger thing? Are you sure she wasn't just talking about the goofy gameplay of Michelle and uh, Jay and that she was going to get stuck in against Nani? It does feel like it's bigger than just Jay and Michelle to me. And then I, I sort of started thinking, right, because there was a lot of talk in this episode about, well, you know, you got to throw in four teams. There's not that many teams left. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like It's true. They threw in, like, half of the remaining teams, right? I guess kind of, but, like, I'm looking around, and there are quite – like, when you look at the list of, of, of the people that have been in – in the fours in the zone. Like, not necessarily they've gone in, competed in the zone, right. but, like, just in the mix. They're still right? there. Um, like, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of repeat names and a lot of people who have not been in at all. Right? Not yep. not even not even made consideration. And I, I'm going to – I have them here. I can give you the um, not gone into the zone group, right? You've got Amber and Chauncey. Now, I can certainly understand in relation to Jay and Michelle why they didn't go in or why they weren't right. an option. Okay. Well, I mean, You've I got, think that's the thing, right? Remind uh, we got to keep in mind Jay and Michelle have won for two weeks in a row, so it's been a long time since anyone but them has thrown right. someone in. So, but if we're just talking about what Jay and Michelle's options are, okay, they're they're part of their numbers, whatever. Fine. Okay. Devin and Tori. Now we understand why they didn't throw Devin and Tori in this week. Yeah. This yep. week, at least. Not necessarily last week, but this week. Yep. Fessel and Mariah. This is a big one to me. Because I feel like this Fess, I, this team seems like they would have been a good option for them. Right? Well, I think clearly they feel like they've got an alliance with the Fessel-Nelson group. Right? Which, which so, could could theoretically kind of include Amber. Right, so does that mean that Fessel and Mariah and Nelson and Narice are kind of playing both sides? Like they're playing with the Vet Alliance and a Rookie Alliance? Yeah, I think definitely. I think that's been that the strategy maybe, all along. Maybe that's what Casey was referring to? Is that it? Maybe. Maybe Casey, yeah. That, you know, you may have, sort, you, you may have figured this out. I think. Casey could be saying to Nani and Bananas that, like, I feel like my guys 
are also aligned with the other side. Because you would think if Fessel and Nelson were really with the vets, they would have done whatever they could to protect. But see, the other side of it is like, I really don't think Jay and Michelle, I don't think they have any real alliances. I think almost all of it, almost all of their relationships, good or bad, are inside of Michelle's brain. <laughs> well, so if like, you can get why they wouldn't want to throw Horacio and Olivia in. Right. 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 Well, they clearly feel like they're rookies, right? But but right. maybe like they, they, they also look at rookies. And, but maybe are... they're looking at Norris and Mariah as fellow rookies, so to speak. As strange as that is. I don't know. It's hard to say. We haven't really seen that part of the game exposed, so maybe we will in the next couple weeks. Well, so, right, and it certainly feels like there's some exposing of Devin that is coming uh, next week. That was you. in the preview. It seemed <laughs> so. But look, there's always an exposing of Devin. Um, that's part of his game. So I, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, man. Jay, it feels like Jay is just becoming a Devin, but not nearly as, as, uh, smart or funny. And who wants that? Who wants, who wants a not smart, funny Devin? What even is that? (laughs) What's left? (laughs) Just like kind of a dick. (laughs) <laughs> mostly, mostly that seems to be what's left. <laughs> kind of a dick. Surprisingly good at daily challenges. I'd say that's what's left. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He is. And, and you know, that's what you got to say about Jay. Through it all, he is surprisingly good at daily challenges. And you know, I think we have to wonder how much that extends to eliminations because he's been decent historically. In eliminations, yeah, sure to say the sure least. So, uh, you know, it may not be as easy to get them out of here as, you know, some folks in the house might want. But I do think the attempts are coming. Oh, yeah. People people are certainly going to be coming for them. And, and I would say that, like, Michelle's not a bad player either. Like, Jay, Jay's not no. winning these single-handedly. No, you no know she's I mean? a good athlete. But 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 just, I, I you know, beyond this partnership with Michelle, I think we've seen Jay is surprisingly good at the physical stuff because he looks would, like kind of a uh hippie shrimp jay is uh two and two all time eliminations but, yeah uh, um with obviously one of those being over ct so that <laughs> i feel like that should count for like five <laughs> yeah but also if you're in two seasons like you know what that reflects more than anything is that this is the first season where he hasn't walked onto the show and been a constant target uh, the losses are to Rogan, pretty good player. Yep. Uh, why is Rogan not on the show anymore? That's a good question, by the way. Uh, that uh, that whole little crew of Rogan and uh, Joss, Joss and Casey. Yeah. Um, the only one who really seemed to have staying power was Kyle. Yeah, I miss Kyle. I'm assuming Kyle. Remember Bear? I mean, what happened to Bear? <laughs> what did happen to Bear? Like, I mean, yeah. we know what happened to Theo. Uh, although I did see something recently about how he he is saying like they won't let him back on the show because they're afraid of him. Really? <laughs> yeah. Not because he has good. one eye. Yeah. Um. <laughs> he's too good. He's never won. I feel like. Uh, I feel like yeah. Was... No. That's that's right. You're correct. He um, was good, but he did not ever win. Yeah. Jay's other losses to Leroy, which uh, again I'd say is forgivable. Um. <laughs> all right. Let's. <laughs> so I, you know, so burn of the week to me was just uh, um, Jordan talking shit uh, to 
um, uh, Jay and Michelle as he was uh, about to beat them. <laughs> uh, that was great. Well, he wasn't even beating them. He was beating someone else, and he was right. talking shit to Jay and Michelle. <laughs> what did I tell you? That was excellent. Uh, my burns of the week um, were from Laurel. Uh, she deserved that for this episode. Yeah. I felt like I needed to give her some credit for something. This was actually an excellent Laurel episode. Um, so it, was a, it was a lot of Laurel this episode. It too. was, and I liked it, uh, and I hope she's back because I still think it's there. Uh, this was just a tough matchup. And she said two incredible things about Michelle, uh, both in the ITMs, which she was just a superstar. She was emotional. She was competitive. Like I just loved it this week from Laurel. She said, describing Michelle in the ITM, you're just annoying at this point. Can you just shut up and disappear? And uh, here, here, I agree. And then also there was one, there were some incredible editing moments in this episode too. I forgot to write one of them down, but there was like an incredible cut to a facial expression that, that, that I vaguely remember. And then there was this great cut from one of the unpleasant conversations between Laurel and Michelle it just cut to Laurel's ITM, and she just deadpanned at the camera and said, this person is horrible. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. Laurel's great. I, You know, I, I feel like Laurel struggles in love. Um, yeah. Maybe uh, somewhat the consequence of her own decisions. <laughs> I have some questions. Uh, her own decisions and her, her own personality. And I think she recognizes that. And that's part of yeah. what makes her so emotional about that. But um, I, I want it to work out for her. Like Hor Horacio is the guy for her. I don't understand totally what happened there, but uh, she's gone now anyway. Uh, Faso is not the solution. Whatever happens. Yeah, like I just, I, yeah. <laughs> Poor Horacio, like trying to like. <laughs> I, you know, I would, I would, I would like to see a uh, uh, Horacio uh, Fessel elimination over her. That would have been kind that of been incredible. That would have that would have been really good. Television. I will say, like for. Horacio is doing better on this show to this point than any decent person has a right to do. Yeah. Really strong rookie performance from him, honestly. Um, yeah. Extremely on strong. All. Yeah. So, good for him. I, I have a feeling he, we're going to see him in many more challenges. I my, think you are correct about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we, I feel like we are getting down like to the to the point in the season uh, where it's going to start to get real competitive, and the choices, particularly since you got to put four in at a time, are going to start to get really difficult soon. Which I think is going to be is going to be fun. Like like we're almost going to have to have some bet on that crime here in a minute, right? Like there just aren't that yeah, many options. It's happening, absolutely. So, um. So we'll see how that goes. And I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know. I Michelle has a lot of IOUs banked, so who knows? We'll see. I don't I don't understand. I mean, I can't understand why, obviously, why Casey and Nani don't want to compete against each other. But course, I also yeah. think I also think that they need to accept that that is a real possibility that they may have to deal with at some point as these numbers shrink. You know what I mean? Well, so, I, I, it's something that can be actively worked to avoid, you know, and I think, like, if you actively work to avoid it, there's a decent chance you can avoid it. Um, 
Yeah, but no one, like both of them are strong enough teams to make the final and like there's always somebody else. Maybe. There's always somebody else. And in this scenario with the like it's possible to protect yourself against that because of the way it's set up, right? Yeah. Well, um, and I think they did I think if Jay and Michelle did anything smart, it was pointing that out. Like, yes. hey, we're doing you a favor by putting you in against each other so that you can save each other. Well, sure. But as they pointed out, it's not a favor really. It's like I'm going to peel the skin on your face off, but don't worry, I'm leaving your eyes. Like, thanks, <laughs> I guess. Like, I would rather have my eyes than not, sure, but could I keep my skin? Um, I don't know why I chose such a morbid uh, analogy, that was really, but, but really you know, that's that. It's it, it, like you're in elimination, there's a decent chance one of you is going in, but don't worry, I made it so probably you won't have to face each other. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh so anyway, I don't know. It's they're dumb and everyone's going to be gunning for them. That that's what it comes down to. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. So like <laughs> the first time they don't win the elimination, they're going to be not only in the four, but I would guess the choice of whoever does win. Like they do not really have allies and even the allies that they may think they have, to me, like if Nelson or Fessy wins, they're still the obvious choice. Because why ruffle feathers that you don't have to at this point? Right. To be and and like to be the team that no one trusts in the house, you're always you know, in trouble. You're yeah. always in trouble. Yeah, it, it means your even your allies aren't necessarily that solid. Right. We've already seen that happen this season. So yeah, it is kind of wild that it's been a, a just looking at Amber and, and Chauncey. With who have completely middled this yep. <laughs> this six episode so far? They've done well so far, and I think you know n- neither winning nor obviously losing is a is a huge part of that. They've they've played the middle of daily challenge success, which is a, usually a good way to go. Yeah, and it's just Amber has not been a person who's had much ability to coast in this game before. Like you know what I mean? Like drama generally seems to find her. So. Yeah, no, she's done a good job of staying out of it, and frankly, she's in that nice zone of, like, she may sort of think of herself as rookie-ish, but she's far enough from being an actual rookie that she's not an obvious first target, you know? And I think a lot of what got her into drama was the way she reacted to being, like, a normal rookie target. Yeah. I don't – we're not I, – like, I have no idea if Chance is any good at this yet. No, but he's obviously not terrible, which is good, right? Like, he is not – you're not noticing him in a good or a bad way, which again, I think is kind of the best zone to be in for them. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And obviously he kind of looks like he could be an athlete. So yeah. It's like, but if he was like dominating, they would have been targeted by now. Yep. Yep. I still don't understand why. I don't know. No one's trying to get uh fessy out of this game. seems weird to me. <laughs> like you probably, you probably like, that's something I'd want to do before a final is try to get fessy out. Yeah. Well, we may see that yet because, I think if someone from the, like, Jordan, Anissa, Nani, Bananas, Tori, Devin group wins, I think that that may be one of the directions they go. Yeah, I, mean, I could definitely see Devin and Tori going for him, particularly with Tori and Fessy's history, right? So Yeah, maybe. maybe. Not that maybe. it's like, not that there's bad blood there, but you know what I mean? She did literally call him one of the worst mistakes of her life. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. And it's weird that I, I don't think she meant that with malice necessarily, but no. it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, I don't think she meant uh, it with malice at all, but yeah, that's, that's yeah. where they stand. That's that's I think that is absolutely how she sees the situation, and I think she's probably right. Yeah. So yeah. Um. So yeah. <laughs> score, <laughs> that, score. that one is what it is. <laughs> score another one for Messy Fessy. <laughs> Messy Fessy. All right. I think we're ready. We ready to get out of here? I think so. I'm like, I, I could go so. take care of my my literal child. I forgot that you have uh, actual responsibilities in the background. Yeah. Um, all right, so homework for next week. Uh, we're going to watch a show called Stutz. It's, it's a documentary. It's a black and white documentary that Netflix tried to get me to watch, and now they succeeded, uh, where Jonah Hill is talking to his therapist, who I guess is like a, has like a unique approach to uh, therapy, and Jonah Hill thinks this can help people, and it's getting very good reviews. So I don't know. Let's see. Okay. I, I like Jonah Hill as a director, so I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, there is the Chippendales movie, which I believe is officially called Welcome to Chippendales. And that one is not a movie. Right. It's, not, right. it's also not a movie, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a limited series. It's on Hulu. <laughs> uh, starring Kamel Nanjiani, among other. Uh, yes. Yeah. Getting, getting a fair amount of hype. Yep. Uh, then there's the Wednesday Adams TV show. Wednesday that one. from the mind oh. of Tim Burton. There you go. Uh, um, I am. I'm not a huge Tim Burton fan, so no. um, we'll see where that goes for me. Okay. Um, but uh, but we'll, we'll be checking that out. And I'm also going to watch the the FIFA Uncovered documentary because I've heard that's good. You uh, mean Untold. Untold, whatever it is. The one on uh, Netflix. The one on Netflix. Yeah. All right. Let's see if I get to that because we have two weeks. We are taking the week off for Thanksgiving. And that's right. We should mention that. Yeah. Also, by then, we'll be nearly two weeks into uh, the Copa de Monde or uh, whatever it's called. <laughs> Copa Mundial? Depends on depends on your... Uh, yeah, that was uh, just sort of a mishmash of various European languages that I did there. Um, yeah. The, I, don't know, I don't know how to say it in Arabic, though. The World Cup begins Sunday. The U.S. plays Monday. Mon- I have plans to be at a bar with a buddy i'm very excited uh are you going to be out and about for the game or do you have to work uh i am going to be or do you let's have to just say, say you're at work and then you'll be out and about uh, i'm going to be working office. from home is ah, the, okay that's is good the, that's good sending out okay. <laughs> All right. and then of course uh, uh you know the big game against england is it is, is black friday so there you go uh, Hopefully most of you will be off and have a chance to catch that. And then I guess by the time we talk again, we'll probably be done with the group stage. Um, and Maybe. we can talk a little bit about how the uh, the tournament is playing out. Yep. So. Sounds good. Can't wait. You, I'll talk to you, you in two weeks, my friend. You, you made a pick, right? Did you make a pick? No, I don't know what's going on. Um, I just hope the U.S. does well enough to entertain me. That's that's all I hope for, and I'll I mean, probably pick a like secondary favorite team to actually win after I watch a few matches. What would that What would that be enough to entertain you? you um, to get out of the group to entertain you. You got to get out of the group stage for sure. But I would say beyond that, like I want to see I, I want to see a high level of football. I want to see as high a level of football as I've ever seen from Team USA. And that might be asking a lot, but it's not that high of a bar. 
Certainly asking, uh, certainly given how they looked the last couple games before. The That's World right. Cup. It is asking for significantly more than we saw in the last couple matches. I, I, I want, and I would like it to be somewhat entertaining. Like, put some chances together on a regular basis. You know, I, I, I do not believe from a talent perspective that that is asking too much of this squad, but we have not seen it yet. Here's one thing I, I read that gave me some comfort. So, the fivesome of Christian Pulisic, Giorena, uh, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams. That would be kind of their designated starting infield, and I would say their two most accomplished attacking players, right? Those five players. Uh-huh. Do you know how many minutes they've played together in a U.S. shirt? Barely any, like uh, 20 maybe. The answer is zero. Uh, and what about Aronson, too? And, you know, you throw Aronson. Obviously, the Aronson has played someone the other four. Um, yeah. If you take Geo out, right? Um, you know, so but I think the fact that you're gonna see those five together uh, in this tournament, I think, gives me some comfort in terms of their ability to play at maybe a new level. And I think you can obviously right. easily interlock Aronson into that mix as well. Well, so. I think it's easy to say that. We still have not seen enough, or as you point out in, in a certain case, any of the complete version of the new Team USA. Um, that said, I think the question becomes, like, have they been around each other enough to play to their potential at this point? And we'll see. Yeah, the other thing is that, that is also interesting to me is that uh, they uh, – they asked Timothy Weah, who plays some number nine for Lille in France, um, if uh, he had been doing any work in the number nine position. Um, and he was uh, extremely evasive <laughs> about oh, answering that question. So um, so I do think that there is a possibility we could see some Weah at nine, which I think opens up the door to them for them to get more attacking talent. All right. Um, on the field? On, on the field. So we'll yeah. see. All right. Yeah. We'll see. And I will talk to you in two weeks. Have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too, man. Love Thanksgiving. Yeah. Can't wait to eat. Bye. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The light's out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling. And the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.